you're going to want your Bible, right? Because we're going to read. So you want to read along with us and you want to follow. And Not quite as much reading as we did last week. But we still are, you know, we're going to read from God's Word. And we're going to look at it and dig deeper into it. And the cool thing about reading along sometimes too is that sometimes it like, you know, sometimes it'll just strike in your head and be like, oh, like what about that verse in that place where... And then sometimes like, you know, you can go flick back. So, but you can't do that, you know, if we're not reading and following along. So we said, page 698, Matthew uh, 22. 699. Page 699? 699, I already got one thing wrong. Good job, Jared. Alright, so let's read the passage. And then, um, and then we can go through it. So the title of the message is The King's Reception. Right? White glove, nice platter, nice invitation. Let's see what's going on here. Matthew 22. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So then, verse 4, Then he sent some more servants, and he said, Tell those who have been invited, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention, and went off, one to his field, another to his business. Verse 6, The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. It says, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So just this crazy reaction for an invite to a wedding. So verse 8. says, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. And they really didn't want to. So in verse 9, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Then verse 11, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, How did you get in here without any wedding clothes? The man was speechless. So then the king says to the attendant, says, Tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And verse 14 says, For many are invited, but few are chosen. So pretty interesting passage here. And there seems to be a lot of dramatics surrounding a wedding invitation. You know, and there's a guy, you know, who shows up and then he gets kicked outside. And what's going on here? And then what does it have to do with us? So let's do this. Let's open up in prayer. And then let's see, you know, what God brings out of it. What He brings to our mind and to our attention. So Jesus, we know that you are in heaven right now at the right hand of God. And when you gave this parable, you intended to get a particular message across. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask that we could also gain that same message. That we could understand it the way that you intended. Not the way that we want to read it. Or not the way that, you know, maybe might sound good or sound easy but for the way that you intended. And we pray, God, that as your Holy Spirit brings to our attention and to our minds uh, the point you're trying to get across, may that knowledge 
enlighten us, but may it also cause us to act differently. To truly cause a change in our behavior. Because we do not come here on a Sunday morning to just gain more knowledge and information. We come here for heart transformation, Lord. So God, we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple wedding questions. Um, so one, I'm just curious, like, who's in the mix here and, like, you know, who we have. Um, how many people, okay, at the wedding, uh, how many surf and turf people we got? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, so we got a good chunk. Okay. Uh, how many people all, uh, go for the vegetarian part of uh, maybe a wedding if you get the invite? Any vegetarian or, like, vegan? Like, oh, oh one, and she's like, duh, duh, duh. right? Um, how many uh, people do we have here for a wedding? They get on the dance floor. Like, they're dancing. How many dancers we got? We have some dancers, right? Some dancers in here. Um, yeah, so thinking about weddings, you know, and um, at least for, let's see here, past four years or so, you know, being on the pastor end and like doing the wedding stuff, it, you get to be around a lot of different types of weddings and different types of people and you see a lot of different things, but um, just that feeling of just like joyous, like a wedding day and, you know, they're committing their lives, you know, to each other. It's just a lot of fun. Everybody's happy. Most, pe- most people are happy and getting along. Um, you know, if you're salty on a wedding day, it's like, man, you know, that stinks. But, um, and then it was making me think about, you know, my wife, you know, on I's wedding day and, you know, how we were there and uh, powerful ceremony. It was powerful. Um, we did the, uh, I washed her feet, you know, during the ceremony and I couldn't keep it together. I mean, so I'm standing up there, you know, and the pastor's behind me, and I'm standing, I got all my guys, you know, we got all the girls, and uh, man, you know, I could even bubble, you know, tear up a little bit right now, but I remember seeing the way the church was set up, and she comes, you know, walking through there, and uh, she didn't make it to the door, and I already started bawling like a a two-year-old girl, just totally lost it, just, I was like, man, it's my bride, like, coming, like, can't believe it, you know, prayed for, my mom has prayed for, my parents, you know, I've prayed for, and it's happening, like, I can't, this, seriously, this is happening, like, right now, my bride is about to be coming down the aisle, and um, she's so, I, I see her through the window, you know, coming, and then she can still see that I'm losing it, so then, like, she loses it, you know, hopefully for the same reason, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it with this guy, <laughs> hopefully it's for the, for the same reasons. And so, uh, you know, she uh, comes down the aisle and, you know, we're going through the, um, going through the ceremony stuff, the scripture reading, you know, and the, and the songs, we did worship songs, you know, it's, man, it's just awesome to just do some worship music and just like praise God, you know, and it was intentional that we were doing that, we wanted our friends and relatives to know that, hey, there's a marriage like founded on Christ and we're just, whatever comes our way, that's just where we're going to stay, you know, he's just at the center. Um, but I surprised her, and anybody that knows Julie, she is um, she loves surprises, but I think she loves even more to try and figure out any surprise before it happens. She can't keep a secret, you know, it's just, it's just the way she's built. So we were able to somehow, someway, keep the whole foot washing thing a secret, you know, and then we did it, and it was just, man, it was just powerful, and it was awesome. And, um, you know, then I was thinking, you know, recently, 
you know, there's a big time royal wedding that just happened a couple of years ago. And I don't know if you watched it. Um, I, I didn't really pay much attention to it because, I, I don't know, I just don't really care that much. Um, but, like, if, if you do and you're interested, that's not bad. It's just not really my cup of tea. Hey, pun was intended. That was pretty good. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting nonetheless. Like, so you wouldn't be into half the things I'm into, right? Maybe half the things I watch on Sports Center and all the sports and stuff. You're like, who cares? You know, I just wasn't that big into the royal wedding. It's just not that interested. But it's kind of interesting that that many people would watch and that many people like live in the moment during that and... I don't know. They, so I wrote down some things about this wedding. It's kind of interesting. 2011, April 29, right? Prince William, Kate Middleton. Most expensive security event in, I believe it was, England's history. Just all the money they paid just for security for that thing. Um, the whole thing cost $20 million. It cost their economy... About it's kind of a strange range, but it cost their economy about one to six billion. I mean, that's a lot. That's a big range. I don't know who's adding up the numbers, but about one to six billion in like days off and people like not working, so lost productivity. The assumption was that it would bring in so much more business or so much more um, people in tourism then and then after that they could make that up. There is three sets of guest lists. Uh, about 2,000 people were invited to the ceremony, St. Abbey. 600 people invited to the luncheon at the Buckingham Palace. Very posh, right? 300 for the evening dinner hosted by Prince of Wales. So they had like these lists, you know, where people were getting kind of cut off as you went down. There's friends there, government leaders, celebrities. They had specific routes going through London. Um, and uh, he, with his groomsmen, he rode in this super nice Bentley state car that he had. Um, she rode with her girls in the Rolls-Royce Phantom. I mean, just sparing no expense at all. I don't know what you know you rode around in your wedding in. Who knows, you know? Um, they had at their service two choirs and one orchestra that played for the service. And you know, they're getting paid big time bucks. And then they also had airplanes like flying overhead. The thing was just intense. The whole situation. Jesus' last parable, right, is about a wedding feast. And about a wedding feast for a king. And a king back then, you know, would have something very similar to what we read about, you know, with uh, Prince William. And Kate there, it'd be super extravagant. You know, white gloves, nice tables, spare no expense, get the best of the best. Best food, best people, everybody would be there. And so Jesus' last parable is about a big time wedding. And so the question is, why is he using a parable of a wedding to talk about some conversations that had to do with his authority? Right, because this whole situation we're reading, uh, we get to, not because I just picked out this passage randomly because I just thought we should do it. Uh, it's because we study through the Bible here. We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We go right through the Bible. And at this current time, Jesus 
is coming into Jerusalem for his last week, right before he goes to the cross. And a lot happens in this last week. And so, he had just come into Jerusalem. They did Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They did all the palms. He comes in. Next day, he goes to the temple. He clears out all the changers and stuff because they had turned that temple into just a money-making transaction place instead of a place of prayer like God had intended. And then from there, uh, he saw this fig tree and he cursed this fig tree in a very strange kind of story. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. If you want to listen, you can listen to that online because that's kind of a strange thing that he would just curse a fig tree. And then what happens, the religious leaders are now about to confront Jesus before he dies. They get into a series of conversations. And these conversations really put... Um, it really puts them over the edge. Because after a few days of this intense questioning, going back and forth, that's when they kill him. That's when they charge him and kill him. And uh, so then they come up to you and say, Who, what gives you the authority to do all of these things? How come you can heal people? How come you can teach like you do? Um, how come you can just come into the temple and just do this stuff? And so Jesus realize that they just asked this public question, oh, how come, where's the authority coming from? And uh, he decides to respond. And as he responds, he's going to reveal how, um, first, like how bogus they judge authority and things from God. And then he's going to answer their question about authority. Because the way he answers, like we talked about last week, he says, well, let me ask you one question real quick. He said, before you figure out if I have authority and if it's legit or not, um, you tell me, like, do you think John the Baptist, was, was he legit? Where did his authority come from? And so then they, like, they huddled together, we talked about last week, and they started, well, you know, if we say we live in John the Baptist, you know, we can't say that because we didn't really believe him, you know, but, uh, and then if we say, um, you know, that we don't, it, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. So let's just say we don't know. We don't know where, you know, that stuff came from. And Jesus is like, everybody's hearing this. We all know that it's from God. So he traps them with that. And then he goes into these three parables to talk about where his authority comes from. It comes from uh, the Father, comes from the Son. And then this week, he talks about this parable of a wedding. So, let's take a look at this a little bit deeper and see what Jesus was trying to say. Because he was trying to address some kind of issue, right, with the Pharisees, with the religious leader this issue about authority and where it's coming from. And he picked a wedding feast to describe it. So let's see, let's dig a little bit and see what we can take away from this because I want to make sure that we talk about, there's like weird things that happen in here. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, there definitely is. Weird things that happen. Especially in this parable, right? Like they send this invite and people said they're going to come. And then it's ready. The kings, like like Kate Middleton, you know, and Prince William, like it's ready. And then they say, nah, I don't want to go. Like I have to go to my field. I, I bought a house. I didn't look at it yet, but I have to go see it. I got work to do. What? That's just a strange response. So that's how they respond. And then uh, Jesus says they sent out more servants. And they said, no, really, it's time. Like, You've already said you're going to come. You should come. Like the food is ready. Everything's all good. You guys should come. And then they're like, no, you know, I don't really feel like coming. And then it says that they mistreat them. They beat them. 
and then kill them. It's just a weird reaction. So then the king is mad because all these people said that they would come. They didn't come. And now he goes back and he just lights, torches the city up. And he says, hey, listen, we're still having this party. My son's still getting married. Get everybody. I don't care who they are. Tell them to come. They're invited. Let's do this thing. And it says they invited everybody. And it says in the Bible, you know, good, bad, whoever, they just brought them all in. And then this guy comes in who does not have proper wedding attire or wedding garments. He gets booted out. Like somehow some guy in the street who's maybe homeless should have a tuxedo. This is strange. Are you with me? It's kind of strange, right? Like, what, what's going on? So let's take a look at this stuff. So right away, at the very beginning, right? Verse 22, uh, chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. Right? That's what verse 1 says. Talk, spoke to them in parables. Right? He's trying to get a point across. And so he uses everyday language to get a spiritual truth across. That's what he does with parables. And he says, the kingdom of heaven, right, is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So that's what the kingdom uh, of heaven is like, which is very interesting um, because, uh, you know, I know, um, unfortunately, of like too many churches and too many Christians where I think the last word they would use to describe a Christian or a church would be an awesome, joyous, celebratory wedding feast it's like I've heard this past week, you know, one pastor said it's like most, not most, but some churches and some Christians, it seems like they spent three days in formaldehyde. You know, they're just kind of depressed and discouraged and grumpy and just, what? The joy of the Lord is my strength type? Like, is that in your life? You know, are we like worshiping the same redeeming God? But that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it says, right, it talked, we just talked about it. He sent his servants to those who had been invited. They were already invited. They refused to come. He sent more servants. Told those who had been invited, I prepared my dinner. Right? Stuff is ready. The, ax, the oxen, the cattle, the butchered, everything's ready. Come to it. Verse 5. Very interesting. I have this underlined in my Bible. Uh, you might want to underline it in yours and circle it. But they paid no attention. One off to his field, another to his business. And I think in some versions, it says that they made excuses. And then in verse 6, the rest seized the servants that are telling about the wedding, mistreat them and kill them. King was enraged, sent the army, destroyed the murderers and burned the city. Then he said, hey, you know what? Invite everybody. And then it says they invited everybody, the good and the bad. Then in verse 11, they come across the sky, not wearing wedding clothes. How did you get in here without them? And then it says this strange thing, right? The king told the attendants, time, hand, and foot, throw them outside, weeping and gnashing of teeth. So since it's a parable, we're trying to get a point across. Jesus is trying to get a point across. So surface level, here's the basic point that he's trying to get across right away. Uh, number one, uh, this king's throwing a big feast. The sun, like that represents Jesus, right? That's surface level. Um, the nation of Israel, they're the invitees, right? They're the ones that are getting invited to this thing. And they've been invited for a long time. Ever since the garden. And they've had guys like Abraham. They've had guys like David. They've had guys like Jeremiah. They've had guys like Isaiah, Ezekiel. 
They've been invited. They've been told about this feast coming up. They've been told about this day of Messiah be coming. They've been turning it down. Ah, they paid no attention. Or I'm busy doing what I want to do. They as a nation, right, did not respond to Jesus, John the Baptist, or anybody. And like the man in the story, they seem to fit the bill like they should be at the wedding. Right? Outwardly, it seemed like they did fit, but they really didn't fit. Like the man at the wedding. They had to be separated. He did not really fit there. So, right. So, what happens is that at the surface, right, repeated invites, they chose to mistreat, hurt, and then kill the inviters. And so God, right, is going to be done with them and go to the people that will respond. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. Like, listen, guys, I've been telling you, it's been happening right in your midst. You've been missing it right before your eyes. You've been busy doing whatever. I'm here, and you know what? Right now, we're going to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and they're going to respond. They're going to bear fruit. Right, referring back to like the fig tree and the vineyards, the parables last week of the two sons and the other vineyards. It's about bearing fruit for Jesus Christ, bearing fruit for God. And these guys weren't in it for that. So that's the surface. Is Jesus just like laying it out for him? Hey, here's the deal. I'm trying to tell you what's been happening. But if we dig a little bit deeper, here's like the phrase if you miss everything today, and like you, you just miss everything for whatever reason, your mind just goes off somewhere else. Uh, here's the phrase that I think you might want to take home that we're going to dig a little bit deeper with. Um, the phrase is, and it should, it should come up here, right? We need to come, and we need to come correct. We need to come, and we need to come correct. We need to come to that feast. We need to come to what has been invited to us. And we need to come correctly. Well, what is correctly? How do you even come correctly? How do we avoid the situation of the man that was there, you know, and then he got tossed out? Well, we need to come, right? There's a repeated invitation for us. That's what the Bible makes very, very clear. There's repeated invitations for us to come to Jesus Christ. He loves us and He pursues after us. That's just who He is. And I don't know about you, but that's very encouraging for me. To know that He's pursuing after me. But the other side of the coin, right, is that I could say no too many times and then just be done. He's like, fine. You obviously do not want any part of me. You don't have to have any part of me. And then He's done. But there is a repeated invitation. Come to the table. Come who Jesus is. And I think us in America, we really bear the brunt and bear the weight on this one big time because we have the word around us everywhere. It says on average, houses have four Bibles. I mean, we've got the internet with Bibles all over the place. We have Bible commentators. We've got Christian radio. I mean, it's on our, yeah, it's on our cell phones. It's on our tablets. It's everywhere. The invitation is there. Well, I didn't like how they said it, or, you know, that music was kind of goofy, or, you know, all these, like, strange reasons. Like, the invitation is there. And it's repeated. So the question is, like, are we going to respond? And the thing in our story is that they did respond right. They're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. But then we saw in the parable, like, they didn't really own up to it. 
there's a repeated refusal in our story, right? So there's a repeated invitation and there's repeated refusal where they were told about what's going to happen, like what is going to happen, what is going on, and they just did not want to hear it. They're busy doing their own thing. Very busy doing their own thing. And like ridiculous reasons. And I like in some versions it says excuses. So there's repeated invitation, there's repeated refusal, and then there's the strange part, right? There's excuses and then extreme violence. Right? They make their excuses, I don't want to, I don't want to, but then they start getting people and like hurting them and mistreating them. I don't know about you, but like over the course of a week, right? So I spend a good chunk of my time throughout the week um, teaching. And I'm around adolescents, you know, during the week. Uh, one thing that becomes, uh, could become very exhausting. I don't know what things in your life are exhausting to you. Just like, just wears you down. I, I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's, um, I don't know, people who don't maybe stick to their word. Uh, maybe it is uh, people who drive you know, super slow, like in the passing lane, and they shouldn't. Um, maybe, uh, who knows, I, I don't know what it is. That could be exhausting to you, that whatever happens throughout the week. People that keep talking, right, and they're telling you all about their lives, and it's like, what well, do you care at all about what's going on, like, with mine? You know, who knows what it might be. But I find during the week, when I'm around adolescents, I'm teaching class and stuff, one thing that's really exhausting is the amount of excuses that I hear all week long. So many excuses. Just of just this ridiculous stuff. Uh, it just wears down after a while. It just really does. Um, and maybe like you've had the situation where maybe you're talking with someone, or maybe it's even involving church. Hey, listen, maybe you're talking to a friend or neighbor, like I go to this church or I'm at this church or uh, I've been going there, this worship event is happening. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, they seem really interested. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's great, it's great. You know, would you like to come? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you call them up, you know, Saturday or the day before whatever the event takes place. Hey, I'm going to come scoop you up, right? Ah, you know, I forgot I had this thing. You know, I got to go do this thing. All right, all right, all right. You know, sounds good. So you let them know about the next time. Oh, I forgot. I, you know, I had this house I bought and I didn't check it out yet, you know, and then you call them up again and oh yeah, I just got this new job and I gotta get ready for it, you know that's like what was going on here, you know, with these excuses, it was just so ridiculous just wasn't making any sense and that could be super frustrating um, and it got me thinking about excuses a little bit more um, because I was reading this article this past week, like top things uh, that we lie about or make excuses about because uh, I think that um, at least a lot of people I know around my circle, maybe a lot of people around your circle, excuses are very common and to just get authentic, genuine, real deal answer and truth it's very difficult to come by sometimes. And almost never is it just volunteered. Especially if it makes them look bad. Right? Anybody with me on that one? It almost never happens. So some things that people lie about. That I was reading. Um, things that people lie about. Uh, income. Age. Accomplishments. Um, 
There is a top ten list. As far as in the first few here, here's where the first few like top ten excuses or lies. Um, I'll be ready in a minute. So I wonder if that's coming like from the guys or the girls. Uh, I'll do it in a minute. That sounds more like the guys, right? Uh, nothing's wrong, right? Nothing's wrong. Don't worry about it. It's another top one. You look great. That's another one, right? That's another one too. So there's these top lies, right? These top excuses. Um, and, uh, you know, so where's the line when it becomes an excuse or a lie? Like, were these guys in the parable lying? Or are they just giving an excuse? Or is it a reason? You know, where does that all work? You know, reason, excuse, lie, how are they related? So this past week is looking at a couple things. Um, an excuse is like a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's one, that's one uh, description that I saw. And then another description I saw was that uh, an excuse is a lie all dressed up for dinner. Right, so as excuses, we've become very, very good at making excuses for ourselves. Very good at it and justifying it and coming up with all the, maybe sometimes, excuses that we can come up with. But then when it comes like to this guy in our story who's then speechless, he didn't have anything to say. Eventually, we're going to be speechless before a holy God and stand right before Him. And then it's all going to come into picture and come into focus. Well, getting up to go to church didn't seem like that big a deal. It didn't seem like that big a deal, you know, to take part in, you know, what the church is doing or, 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 or praying, you know, for people in my neighborhood or being around. But then when we get into heaven before God and we see what has actually been transpiring and taking place, all the things that have been unseen that we've just been functioning in every day, and then God lays it out. He's like, man, I've been putting it out before you. You were just going to be speechless in that case. So we need to come. We need to come correct. Because there's been repeated invitation, repeated refusal, excuses, and then separation. The man got separated from the party, Right? So here's two questions, and then we're going to close with this here. Two questions. Why the harsh, hostile treatment of the man that just showed up that they just grabbed from the street? It seems harsh, and it seems hostile. Who's hanging out in the street corner with wedding clothes on? Maybe you are, I don't know, but I usually don't. I like sweatpants, and I like shorts, and I like sandals. I'm not usually dressed for a wedding. Um, But maybe you do. Um, and I think that's a good question to ask. You know, it's a good question. It, they're good questions when you question why Jesus put something in the Bible. It's good to come to God honestly like that. It's not good to come with those questions and then try and make up answers that doesn't fit God's character, though. Right? That's not right either. And no matter how He answers, we want to be ready for that. Because it's not about how the answers make uh, me feel like that doesn't dictate whether I'm going to believe in them or not. At some point it comes down to do I believe in the Word or do I not, right? It always just comes back to that. So why the harsh, hostile treatment of the man? It's a good question. Well, one, I don't think the parable and I don't think Jesus' point with the parable is used to describe proper address for a wedding. His point was more than just how do you dress for a wedding. 
He was trying to make a bigger point than that. The point he was trying to teach was that the response to the invitation... Everybody say response. It's good, I'm not losing anybody yet. Response to the invitation and how we respond... Say respond. Respond is what matters. So the response to the invitation and how we respond. So this guy, right... If his heart was in the right place, this is really the issue of the parable. Not how do you dress for a wedding? You know, do you go with the blue tux, the gray one? You know, that's not really the issue, right? The issue is where is your heart? Hopefully, this guy's heart would have been happy and celebratory and excited about the king and his son getting married. Oh, our king! Still on this awesome party. And his son. Yes, like God bless that family. This is awesome. And then come with that intent of their heart. Right? Because that's what matters. Because if that was the guy's right understanding and response, he would have showed up looking good. Instead, he was showing up looking for a free meal. Just to fit in. So his response to the invitation, right, and then his intent when he responded, he would address differently. So why the harsh, hostile treatment for the man? Because the response to the invitation and how he responds is what matters, right? The intent of the heart. So one other question. Why would why would they not want to go to a king's wedding? Like, why would you not want to go? If you had, like, a free pass to the royal wedding two years ago, let's say they even paid for the airfare. And interesting, side note, some commentators do believe that when they threw these weddings back then, some commentators, not all, but some commentators do believe that when they threw these weddings way back then, they actually supplied the clothes and the garments. Like, why wouldn't you show up? Why wouldn't you go? You had the clothes, you had everything. So let's say that's true, right? Why wouldn't you go? Why would you go to like, uh, you know, the uh, you know, royal wedding? They paid for your ticket. Everything's all taken care of. Let's go. Why would they not go? It seems silly, right? It seems foolish. Probably the best food ever, best time ever. Who knows who you're going to meet. It'd be amazing. At the very least, you get some awesome pictures. Right? It's going to be awesome. And I think Jesus makes this point very intentionally. Because the wedding feast that will be in heaven is so unbelievable. So amazing. It would be completely ridiculous to say no to it. It's just going to be so far beyond our grasp, our imagination of what a blessing and how amazing it will be to be around saints of the world around that table, to be in God's presence. I mean, sometimes you just got to like, that's amazing. He's going to let me sit there and he's going to dress me well and he's going to dress you well. Why would I not take that invitation? Why would I not? 
especially when he has already provided the clothing. Right? This guy got kicked out for having the wrong garments. So what is the right garments at the end sitting at Jesus' table? Well, the awesome news for us is that the Bible makes it very, very clear what the right garments are and what we got to wear to be at that wedding feast. Romans 13. Here's the garment we need to wear, right? Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Who do we clothe ourselves with? Jesus. That's our garment. I'm not exactly blood of Christ. We're not getting kicked out with the blood of Christ because when He sees us, He sees the blood of Christ. It's very scary and very sobering for me to think that churches, our church, people sitting here, people sitting in other churches, they're at the wedding, they're around the stuff, and then could be at the end, hey, you don't have the right garments on. Like you're around the right people and you had the right conversations and maybe you took part in the food and you took part in the activities, but you're not clothed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Like you haven't given your heart and your life to Him. And it says at the end, which makes much more sense now, verse 13, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And guess what? This topic of hell right now is very popular. But as far as the Bible is concerned, if you read it, it's a real place and real people go there. And as far as we can tell from the Word, it's not a place that we want to be. And there's really no reason to be there because the king has the feast set up. It's prepared. It's ready. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he's got the garment ready for us. And hopefully we don't turn to people in the passage, ah, I couldn't pay attention, you know, like I had to, you know, I had to, you know, do chores around my house. I had to cut the grass, you know. I had to, whatever, you know. Go make dinner, do it like all these stuff, you know, it just gets in the way. And sometimes they're heavy, heavier duty issues too. Oh, my marriage, you know, is just a mess right now. Or um, somebody just passed away recently, or um, you know, somebody's sick right now. Like like somehow that's a way to put God on hold and like take care of your stuff. Like we could take care of our stuff in the right way without him. Right? But we could think that. Isn't that scary? So hopefully this passage causes us to take a very sobering look at ourselves to see if we're posers. Like, could I be that guy with the wrong garments on? Thinking I have the right garments, but not. It's really the issue. Am I dressed right? Because the ones chosen, that's how it ended, right? Many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited, few are chosen. A lot of people got invited, but some only got chose. Why did some get chose? The ones that are chosen were the ones that came correctly. They responded to the invitation, and they dressed for the occasion. Are you with me on that? They responded to the invitation. They dressed for the occasion. So I hope I'm guilty of that. I hope you are guilty of that. I hope you're guilty of responding to the 
invitation and dressing for the occasion that will eventually come. So what we're going to do, we're going to sing a song. Um, and it's really with a focus about who God is and how He is our King. And um, I would take this time you know, to really get honest and serious before God and take that sobering look. Say, okay, Lord. Number one, am I wearing the right garment? And hopefully all of us here are. If some here are not, then we're going to pray together at the end. Um, but if we do have that garment, but maybe we've been letting like other snuffs, other stuff sneak into our wardrobe that maybe should not be there, then we should put that before God, you know, at this time. So let's play that song, and then we'll come back together and pray.